Well, good morning, Redemption. Hey, it's great to have you. I believe you made the best decision of your week by starting your week with us here at Redemption Church. Everybody's watching online, welcome. And to all of our new guests, my name is Byron, and I get the great privilege to be able to serve here as the lead pastor. And today, we are in the final week of our three-week sermon series called Be Bold. And if you're taking notes, write it down. It's been the thought that has guided us. It is this, the future belongs to the bold. If we want to be who God has created us to be, it's going to require for us to be bold. Nobody changed the world by living in their comfort zone. It takes all of us taking risk, stepping out in faith, believing God for the impossible. It takes us being bold. They don't write history books about people who have played it safe. We don't tell stories and we don't try to grow up and admire and to become like the the people who lived average, normal, meaningless lives. No, it requires us to be bold. The future belongs to the bold. And when I say the future, I'm talking about us here at Redemption Church. If you're new, what you're joining us in is a three-week vision series because we have just purchased, bought, and begun demolition on a new building, 21,000 square foot building in the heart of downtown Beaumont. If you just look around the room, we still have people standing in the back waiting to be sat because both services are completely maxed out. It is amazing to see what God is doing. I think we're going to need a a bigger building. I think we're going to need a bigger lobby. I think we're going to need a bigger kids check-ins. You know, just last week, we hit triple digits in Redemption Kids in the back. Come on. It's amazing to see what God is doing here at Redemption. I mean, even on our first Wednesday prayer night, it was 200 people packed at a first Wednesday prayer night. I mean, we can't do two services on a first Wednesday. We're going to need a bigger sanctuary to be able to reach more people. And the good news is, is that we have the space. And in order for us to renovate, to raise the funds that are necessary, in order for us to have the grand opening and continue reaching new people, it's going to require us to be bold. So let me go ahead and show you, cast a little vision about the future of Redemption Church. Because here's, here's where we're heading to. Take a look at this. Show that photo. This is going to be the, the outside of our new building. Isn't that amazing? I mean, it is our current facility, but we bought the entire city block all the way to the very end. This is going to be what you see when you're walking into Redemption. A big old sign on the outside that just says Redemption Church. I mean, to me, that just says welcome home. What that, what that says is when somebody parks in our parking lot or drives by on their way to work or downtown riding on one of the, the scooters, they'll see that redemption is possible, redemption is available, that there is a way for their sins to be forgiven, for them to get a new start, a fresh start in life, that the old is gone and the new has come and that Jesus loves them. And there's a church here in the city of Beaumont where a person is welcome to experience life change through Jesus. Redemption Church. It's beautiful. I mean, here's another photo. I cannot wait to bring my kids to church there. 
I just can't wait to hold my daughter's hands walking through the parking lot. And as they come in, I just can't wait as a family to just walk into this church and just to, to be a part of, of the church that Jesus is building. I, I love it. I just, I dream about it all the time. Imagine your kids, imagine you and your husband, or imagine your roommates or a friend of yours who's, you know, you've been inviting to come in and this is what they see. Here's our Redemption Kids check-in. As soon as you walk into the lobby, you're just going to hang a left, and you're going to walk in a safe and fun environment for kids to hear the good news of Jesus in a language, in a way that they can understand, a place where parents feel confident dropping their kids off, especially for, for, for new moms. I know the first time you bring your baby to the nursery, it's a little challenging. It's a little overwhelming, and you, I want to create a space for parents to bring their kids. I want to create a space for parents parents of fifth graders who aren't really concerned. They're just like, get in there. Come on, go, 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 get in there. I want to create that space. In fact, this entire facility where we're currently meeting at is all going to be transformed into next-gen ministry. Yes. And so we're going to have classrooms for kids every age from, from birth to fifth grade. And it's not going to be having them all crammed in the back, but they're going to have specific developmental stages for each one to be able to hear the hope of the message and learn the Bible in a way that they can read and understand, apply it to their lives. And then this entire area that we're currently in right now on Sunday mornings will actually be for all first through fifth grade kids. And they're just gonna be in here running around like crazy, singing Father Abraham had many sons. But I just think about it like an EDM because we're not doing like these old like hymn versions. It's like Father Abraham had many sons. Like there's going to be partying. So we're going to have to put soundproof walls back there because we're going to hear them in the sanctuary because the next generation is going to be loud for Jesus. Amen. And then on Wednesday nights, this is all going to become our youth ministry and we're going to launch Redemption Youth and we're going to make an impact in the next generation because, you know, about 80% of people who are professing Christ, they made a decision to follow Jesus between the ages of sixth grade and high school. It is one of the most fertile mission fields in America, the youth. And so we're excited to announce that we have hired our first youth pastors, Zach and Michaela. They'll be watching online. Let's give it up for Zach and Michaela. They'll be moving here from Chicago at the end of this month. So when they get here, let's show them some Southern hospitality. Yeah. Let's all just do it right now. Just as a church, can we just say howdy, y'all? Okay, howdy, y'all. There we go. We got some Northerners moving down here to come and be a part of what God's doing. It's amazing. It's incredible. We love you guys. And this will be our children's church. Let's show the next slide. This is the lobby. Yeah. I, I, just, I just picture friendships being found. I picture faith being formed. I picture people discovering their spiritual gifts as they serve. I mean, we, you know that a person decides whether in the first seven minutes, if they're going to attend the church a second time. Seven minutes. It doesn't matter how banger of a sermon I preach. It doesn't matter how incredible and moving or how many goosebumps you get during worship. If when people walk in the doors, they don't feel loved and accepted and appreciated, they ain't coming back. That's right. So I just think about stories that we already have of the lobby. I mean, listen, y'all missed the first two worship songs because y'all so busy talking to your friends in the lobby, okay? I just love a church that just loves each other. It's a beautiful thing. I think about stories of, there's a, there's a young man in our church who he woke up one morning wanting to commit suicide, but he was raised in the church and he thought, you know what, I'm gonna give God one more shot. 
And he came to Redemption Church that day because of an invite by one of you. And he walked through these doors and somebody looked him in the eye and shook his head and said, I am so glad that you're here. It's two years later. He's on a team. He's still alive. God's working in his life. We got to baptize him. He's in a small group. He's on a serve team. And his life was changed forever. And it all happened in a lobby. Before the sermon, before the worship, before the altar call, God met him in the lobby. Just think about how many other people God is going to work in their life. And then here's a portrait of our sanctuary. This is where we're going to be having church at. It's got about 500 seats in the auditorium. And as we do it, I just, I just think about every seat being filled with somebody who's, who, who's, who's matters, somebody whose life is going to be changed, somebody with a soul that God is going to save. I just think about as the church gathers, the, the altars are going to be filled each yes. and every week. Yes. The baptism tank is never going to run dry. First Wednesdays are going to be packed. We're going to have so many opportunities. Look at that. So many opportunities for people to experience life change through Jesus. It is absolutely amazing. And what we're doing here is going to impact, change, transform our church for the next 20 years. Because from here, we're going to move into a multiplication effort where we're going to start launching out Redemption Campuses. And here's my belief and my vision. In the next five years, Redemption Church, we will be about 1,000 people and we'll have two campuses here at Redemption Church across Southeast Texas. That's my vision. That's where I believe that God is leading us. And in order for us to accomplish this, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take us being bold. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by happenstance. It doesn't happen by chance. It happens when men and women, you and me, collectively as a church, we make a decision to be bold. So redemption, the last few weeks I've been placing invite cards or connect cards under your chair with a a letter asking you to pray and see, God, how much would you have me to, to give and to sacrifice and to contribute financially to be able to see this happen? Our goal is that originally we wanted to raise $500,000. See, we got a a million dollar loan from the bank because of your generosity and your giving. The the bank agreed to to give us a million dollars to be able to renovate the property. And then we needed to raise 500,000 on top of it that would cover for children's ministry, audio, visual, and all the different things. But we bought the building back in September, October period. And how many of you know that the, the world has changed since that initial conversation with the contractor. Inflation is through the roof. Gas prices have gone crazy. The supply chain, houses, used cars, everything is in economic uncertainty right now. And I I think even with the midterms elections that are coming up, there's even more uncertainty with the war in, in Russia and Ukraine and everything we're seeing on the news. Prices have just gone through the roof. In fact, when we originally talked with our general contractor and what we set out to raise through Be Bold, we were looking at about a $1.5 million project, about $80 per square foot. So we thought, okay, we can do that. So last year, I challenged you to start giving towards this dream and to Be Bold. Well, in recent weeks, we met with our general contractor and the architect and engineers as we're working on developing a plan. And due to the inflation costs, our, our, our estimated price has gone from about $80 a square foot to about 125 as a minimum wow. per square foot, which means what originally started off a few months ago as 1.5 million is now estimated to be anywhere between 2.5 and $3 million for us as a church. And so I've been challenging us to pray and to fast and to ask God, God, how much would you 
challenge me to give. God, what would you have for me to do? God, how are we gonna make this possible? And through prayer and fasting, I believe God has given our, our leadership a next step for us. And here's the next step for us is we're gonna press pause on Be Bold. I sent out an email this week. I know you've been praying and asking, but I said, hey, let's hold off on for a sec until we get some more information around this. Because whenever we do step out, we wanna also be able to have a plan. We wanna have faith, but we don't wanna be foolish. Because here's what Jesus says, no one builds a house unless he first counts the cost. And so when I stand before you as a church, I I wanna be able to have a plan in place that I know that we're gonna be able to succeed. And I don't necessarily wanna go to the bank and ask them for $2 million, but what I do want is I want for us as a congregation to, to pray and to ask and say, God, God, what is it that you have me to do? And when I stand up here, I wanna be able to present it with confidence that, that your generosity is gonna be stewarded with wisdom. And so we're gonna actually press pause and we're gonna hold off until the fall We're gonna meet with our contractor, engineer, we're gonna meet with our leadership, and we're gonna have a better plan to be put in place so that way we know that when you give, you can give so with boldness as well. And here's a couple of things that we've learned throughout this process. The the first thing that we learned is this, is that as we've pressed pause and I've sent the, the letter out to those who are currently giving, there's actually an agreement in their spirits as well around this. One person who is newer to the church, they were praying, they said, God, what would you have me to give? What would you have me to give? And the Lord actually spoke to them and they told me this when I sat down and had lunch with them. They, they, the God spoke to their hearts and said, this, he said, he said, don't give anything yet. Wow. And so whenever I said, hey, we're gonna pause it, he said, oh, thank God. <laughs> he said, because here's what the Lord has been speaking in my heart. I met with another person and God actually had convicted them that the first pledge that they made was actually too small and challenged them to double it. Because when they first made that pledge, they were still new to the church. They didn't yet have the heart and the commitment or willing to make that sacrifice, that boldness in their giving. And as we were discussing it, what came to our attention was this, is that many of you, you are new to the church. In the last three months or so, our church has actually doubled in size. I could draw you a chart and I can show you that at this time last year, our church is about 150. Today, we're pushing 400 on a Sunday morning. Our church is over doubled in size. But here's, here's what I know through conversations is that a lot of new people, it's a little too much too fast to ask you to make a two-year sacrificial commitment. Yeah. So you love the church, you're new to the church, but you, you're not yet a member, you haven't gone through serve team, maybe you, you haven't yet made this decision, is this gonna be where I'm planted and rooted at? And so for a two-year commitment was a little overwhelming. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna press pause so, so that way we can assimilate all of the new people over the summer through spiritual classes, Christian education, small groups, give you opportunities to where your heart and our hearts can be knit together in unity. And I believe this, the price of the building has doubled. That's true. But the size of our church has doubled as well. And so God is not caught by surprise. God knew exactly what we need and that's the reason why God has brought you into this house. You're not here by accident. You're here because God knew that you had a difference to make. You have a potential, you have a purpose, and God wants you to be a part of what we're building through the kingdom of God here at Redemption Church. And so we're gonna press pause. And I know that's hard for me. Some of you might be wondering, like, Byron, I thought you told us to be bold. Okay, if you know me, you know patience is not something that I've been blessed with. Right, on the, on the tree of the fruit of the spirit, the patience is missing in my life. 
Like I'm the guy who yells at a microwave for taking too long. I'm like, two minutes for a burrito? You gotta be kidding me. Like that's, that's me, because I'm just go, 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 go. And so one of the boldest things that I can do as, as, a, as a pastor is to, to pause. Listen, God always requires boldness out of his people. We look at David, we look at Abraham, we look at Moses, we look at, we look at the Lord Jesus. They all stepped out in boldness, but each of their stories were defined by their willingness to wait on the Lord. Abraham was bold, but it took him 99 years to see the promise. Noah was bold, but the ark wasn't built overnight. It took patience for him to to build that. Moses was bold, but he spent 40 years in the wilderness. David was bold, but it was about a 20-year gap from the time he was anointed as a shepherd boy to where he took the place of the king. The Lord Jesus, the boldest of us all, spent 30 years in anonymity, swinging a hammer, What is that? That's patience. And I personally believe that even while we are waiting, God is still working in our church. And so we're going to press pause on that. Some of you say, well, does that mean that we're not going to be bold? No, we are still going to be bold. We're not going to stop the boldness that God has for us. We're still going to step forward and our church will be described and defined and our destiny will be one of boldness together as a church. Amen. So we are going to be bold, and today we're going to wrap up our bold series with a sermon titled, The Church That God Blesses. How many of y'all want to be a church that God blesses? You want to be a part of a church that has a visitation of the Lord, that the hand of God is on that church, because you know that if God is not a part of what we are doing here, we are not a church, we are a social club. The church without the presence of God is not a church. It is just another organization. It is just a nonprofit that is no different than any other nonprofit. That is not the mark of a church. The mark of a church is that God would visit it, that God would bless it, that the hand of God would be upon it, and that we would be a people that God is blessing. I want to be a part of a church that God blesses. And I believe that that is what we are experiencing, and I want that momentum to continue into the future. So we're going to look at the type of church that God blesses in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. We'll read it all up front, and then we'll work our way through the back end. Here's what it says, verse 23, and when they were released, who's that? That's Peter and John. They were arrested for preaching the gospel. They were thrown into prison. They go from the upper room, praying and having you know, fellowship with one another, God's moving in amazing ways. 3,000 people get saved. They're on the top of the mountain. Woohoo! Everything's amazing. And all of a sudden they come down from Acts 2. They're arrested, beaten, thrown in prison. They face a serious problem. For them, it was prison. For us, it's inflation. For them, it was them being beaten and arrested. For us, it's opposition from secular environments. Whatever it may be, there is still always a time where a church is going to find themselves in the middle of a problem. And when they find that problem, what are they going to do? Are they going to run back? Are they going to move back? Are they going to to, to go home? No, they're going to move forward and they're going to do so with boldness. And that's what we see happen here in this text. They're arrested. They're released. What do they do? They don't go home and start complaining about it. They don't go and journal on their Facebook about how mean and nasty everybody else was to them. No, here's what they do. They go back to the church and their friends and they report to what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and they said, sovereign Lord, that word sovereign means in charge and control. That what they were going through may have been a surprise to them, but it was not a surprise to God. It might have been a shock to them, but God was not shocked by it. It might have made them nervous, but it didn't make God nervous. God is sovereign over all 
And here's what they say, sovereign Lord, we trust in you. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. And who through the mouth of our father, servant David, said by the Holy Spirit, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you have anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do what your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak the word of God with all. You can't say boldness like that. You're going to be like, boldness. No, speak the word of God with all boldness. That's right. I told Esther, I said, hey, as a church, we're going to be, we're going to be bold. And she said, we're going to be bold like Papa? I said, no, not bald. We're going to be bold. That's cute. Just kidding. We're going to be bold. And Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, to continue to speak the word of God with all boldness. While you stretch out your hands to heal, signs and wonders performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place they were gathered together was shaken. They're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continue to speak the word of God with all There we go. Now the full number of those who belonged were one heart and soul. No one said that anything belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. And there was not a needy person among them for as many were owners and lands of houses sold them and they brought the proceeds that were sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as they had Need. This is the type of church that, that God blesses. I want you to look down at verse 33 and circle this. It's very important. It says this, a great grace was upon them. It was not just any ordinary grace that they were experiencing. It was an extraordinary mark of God's grace upon the church. Theologians will say there's two different types of grace. There is a common grace and then there is a special grace. Common grace would be things that anyone can experience. It's just the way that the world works. There is wisdom in common grace, whether a believer or non-believer alike. So things like medication is a common grace. Things like government would be a form of a common grace. We have things like systems and structures and business and capitalism, all these different things are are acts of common grace. They're, They're methods in which Anybody, whether a believer or not, can apply them and they can experience the goodness of God over their life. That's a, that's a common grace. But then there's a different type of grace, which is a prevenient grace or a special grace. It is a touch of heaven. It is a mark of God. It is the finger of God upon a person's life. The Old Testament would call it favor. It is God supernaturally working amongst his people. That's what they're experiencing here, that there was a great grace. It was unprecedented. It was unparalleled. It is something that people could not explain. It was a great grace and redemption. I believe that right now our church is experiencing a great grace of God. It's a supernatural move that's happening. When we first started the church, we had a lot of common grace, a lot of systems, a lot of structures, Instagram, Facebook, social media. I thought the way to grow a church 
was to have a nice social media platform. And if we could get the hashtag and we could work the algorithm just right, we'd reach enough people and they would want to be a part of it. That if we just get the right website, if we just had enough pop signs, if we had a really cool logo on the website and, and we had you know, video for our sermons on YouTube, then that would be what grew our church. And those things are acts of common grace. Simple things that any church can do and you can reach people, but common grace doesn't change lives. It takes a supernatural move of God to resurrect the dead, to stretch his hand down from heaven into a broken man's heart and to bring him back into a new life with Jesus. And so our church was stuck at about 100 people. For three years, we, we couldn't grow. And I just wonder, God, why are we not growing? Why are we not experiencing your, your presence? Why are we not having a move of God in our church? And then God spoke very directly into my heart. He said, Byron, why are you trusting more in man's ways to grow a church than in my ways? Why are you trying to do it on your own work? Step back and let me begin to work in the church. And I was convicted that day that we were not a praying church. We were not a church that preached the gospel with boldness. And so we set a determination in our hearts that we were not going to settle for less than God's best for us as a church. And the moment that we made that decision is the moment that everything began to change here at Redemption. If you're taking notes, write this down. It's very important is that revival happens when God's will meets our willingness. Listen, God wants to bless us. God wants to pour out his spirit on us. God wants to move in ways that are miraculous. God wants the church to grow. The question is, are we willing to trust him, to obey him, and to follow him wherever he leads us? See, some people are waiting for a move of God, but here's what I believe, that God is waiting for a move of man. That God is waiting for us to step out in faith, to step out in boldness, to risk, to trust, to get out of our comfort zone so that way he can open heaven and he can begin to bless the move of God here in this church. Revival happens when God's will meets our willingness. So the question is, redemption, are we willing to be bold? God wants to bless us, but it's all dependent upon our willingness to be bold. And so here's, here's how we're going to do it as a church. It's what we have done. It's what the early church did. And it's what we're going to continue to do. There's four marks of a church that God blesses. We find in Acts chapter 4, the, the first mark is this. It's a, it's a church that prays. Here's what he says here. It says that after they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It happened after they prayed. It didn't happen before. See, some people, they're like, God, if you would just remove the problem, then I will praise you. If you just remove the situation, then I will bless you. But that's not what they prayed. They didn't pray that God would remove it. They prayed that God would give them the strength to be able to get through it. They didn't pray. They didn't pray. Uh, they, they didn't expect God to do something. But instead, what they did is they ran to God. They prayed first. And then they lived in the blessings that God had for them. See, here's what you need to know, is that it is prayer that unlocks the power of God in a church. It's prayer that unlocks the power of God in your life, that God wants to move in mighty ways, but it only happens after we pray. See, some people, they try everything else first, and they only pray as a last resort. 
But we don't pray as a last resort. We pray as a first response. The first response that a believer should have is to get together and to seek God and to pray to God because it is that prayer that unlocks the power of God. If we want to see our church grow, it's only going to happen after we pray. If we want to see the seat next to you filled with somebody that you know and love, it's only going to happen after we pray. If you want your one on the Easter Sunday and they come to church, get saved and baptized, it's only going to happen after you pray. If we want to see more healings, more signs and wonders, it happens after we pray. If we want to see more marriages be restored, if we want to see more more, more children be raised up in the house of the Lord, it happens after we pray. It happens after we pray, not before, but after we pray. Prayer unlocks the power of God in the church. And as a church, we must be a church that continues to seek God in prayer. It's no surprise to me that once we started the first Wednesday prayer meeting, our church just continued to grow because we sought God in, in prayer. In fact, this week, our first Wednesday prayer meeting was, was, was packed. You couldn't even get in. And I believe that this is the mark of a church that God blesses by you prioritizing prayer here at Redemption on first Wednesday nights. I know you were tired, but you showed up anyway. I know there was a thousand other places that you could have been, but you still showed up anyway. And when you showed up, God showed off in power because prayer changes things. This is what the first church knew. that They knew that they had to pray. They couldn't trust in man's ways, couldn't trust in man's systems. They couldn't rely on the common grace. They needed a supernatural touch that came only from God. And so as a church, we're going to continue to pray. Number two is a church that protects. Protects what? Protects one another and protects the vision and the unity of the church. Now, Here's what it says. Now the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things they had belonged to them was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, when you read that, does that really mean they had everything in common? Does that mean that they all thought the same, voted the same, believed the same? Did they all wear the same clothes? Did they all like dress and shop from the same stores? Right? Did they all you know, say the exact same things when they walked through the door? Did they all have the same backgrounds, the same beliefs? Does it really mean that they had everything in common? No, that's not what it's talking about. What it's talking here is not about uniformity, but rather it's speaking about our unity. Yes. There's a difference between uniformity and unity. Uniformity means there is no diversity. Unity means that even in our diversity, we still experience victory. Yes. So that's the difference. And so what he's talking about here is they had a church that was willing to lay aside their own personal preferences for the greater good. good. That they, they sought the same thing. Listen, that word, one heart, one soul. In the Greek, it's the word homothumidon. Homo means same, and thumidon is where we get the, our word thermometer. They were of the same temperature. They were of the same essence. They were of the same passions. They shared the same goals. They shared the same vision, and then they were able, through their unity, to protect the vision. And here's why this is so incredibly important, because the greatest threat to a church is not the world. That's what a lot of people will have you think right now. You'll probably be reading it on, on Facebook, all the things that the world is doing. You start seeing things from the Olympics, and you start seeing other posts about Walt Disney and all the, you know, the, the, the sexual agenda that's happening, maybe through politics. You see other things that are going on through, through racism and war and all this stuff, and you might get the idea that the greatest threat to the church is the world, but that's not true. The greatest threat to the church is within 
the church. The greatest threat to any church is division in the house of God. Here's the reason why. Division literally means two visions. That one's going this way and one's going that way. And how can brothers walk together when they're in division with one another? Let's see if you're taking notes, write this down. Division is a cancer. Have you ever had division in your home? You ever had division amongst family members? Has there ever been division at work? Does it bring peace? No, it doesn't bring peace. What does it, what does it bring? It, it, it ultimately, if unchecked, brings death. Division is a cancer. Just like the, the cells in a body that begin to attack the body eventually leads to death. If you don't amputate it, if you don't heal it, you have to what? Remove it. Because if left unchecked, it will bring death into your body. And if division is left unchecked, it will bring death into a church. Division is a cancer, but humility, that is the cure. Humility is a cure. And here's what humility is. Humility is not weakness. Humility is meekness, which is strength under submission. Laying aside your own preferences for the greater good. It's not thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less and putting the needs of others before your very own. Division is all about me. What I want, what I need, what I think, where I'm going, what I do. Humility is saying, okay, God, I'm trusting you. These are the people you brought around me. And so we're gonna walk together in harmony. And this is the type of church that God blesses. Here's here's more verses. It says this, God desires this so much for his church. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, finally, all of you, how many of you? All All of you. You're not excluded. I know you think you are, but you're not. All of you, the church, have unity of mind, sympathy, and brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Philippians 2, 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full and accord of one mind. 1 Corinthians 13, 11, finally, brothers, rejoice and aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love, of peace, will be with you. Colossians 3, 14, then above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then Psalm 133, 1, how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell together in unity. Listen, God is a father, and we are his children, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, I'm a dad. I have two little girls, five and two years old, and there is nothing that brings peace into our home like whenever they get along with one another. On Friday, when I get home from work, our Sabbath begins, and here's what I do. I take the girls outside and just let them play, and it was beautiful. They were picking flowers. They were playing in their little playhouse. They were riding their scooters. They were drawing with chalk. It was so peaceful for about 30 minutes. <laughs> and then they started pulling hair and shoving each other on the ground and screaming, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, Daddy, right? And, and, and everything just went to chaos. In the church, you know what makes God's heart happy? to see brothers and sisters getting along together in unity. This is why division is so dangerous in a church. And when I talk about unity, I'm not just talking about doctrinal unity. Because we all know churches that can sign the same doctrinal statements, but they can't get along with one another. That's why we have 17 Baptist churches and 14 Methodist churches, because somewhere someone down the line refused to put the needs of the greater good above their own. And so there's division in the church. How does God, how does Jesus say that the world will know that you are my disciples? Is it because you, is it because you, 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 you start tweeting about 
other people? Is it because you, you leave comments on Facebook and YouTube? Is it because you make a podcast? Or is it because you, you, you have a, a documentary that you release? Is that how, and then all the Christians get on and start jumping on everybody else? Is that how the world will know that we are saved by God and marked by grace? No, here's what he says. You will know that they are my disciples, why? By their love and their unity. John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus on the day of his crucifixion. You know what he prayed for? I pray that the church would be one, Father, as we are one, that they might be one with one another. Unity is the prayer that Jesus prays. This is how come it's so incredibly important for the local church to get in together and to lay aside their differences for the greater good. So let me give you some ways that that we can do this. Because unity is so important. I just don't think in our culture, we think so much individually. We don't think unity. We think so much about our wants and our preferences. We don't think about putting the, the needs of a greater good beyond ourselves. So let me give you some ways that we can do this. The first way is this, is focus on what we have in common and not what is different. What, what are they, what's different about us? Some of y'all, y'all really different. But we still love you. Does it mean that everyone here must vote Republican or Democrat or Libertarian? Does it mean that everybody here has the same preference about masks or no masks or vaccines or no vaccines? No, that's what causes division in our world. There's so much division happening in the world that that need not be happening here within the church. I mean, I get, I get messages all the time. You know, what is your stance on, on, on vaccines or masks? Or what is your stance? Last year was crazy when it came to, to Black Lives Matter and MAGA. I mean, you just think the church was about to divide against one another when it comes to this. And we have people come from different perspectives, different beliefs and different backgrounds, theologically, who have disagreements. But yet, what we gather here is I focus on this. We have one thing in common, the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and the hope of the gospel, that there are more people to be saved, and we can disagree, but we can still not have division. We're gonna focus on our commons, what we have in common, and we're not gonna major on the minors and what we do not agree on. It's how we remain together in in vision of of unity. The, The second thing is to be realistic in our expectations. Listen, people are gonna let you down. People are gonna disappoint you, they're gonna fail you, And you're going to disagree with something that I say eventually. If it wasn't on that last point, you're going to disagree with this one. Because people are people and nobody is perfect. And if you come into a church expecting other people to be perfect and that there will never be any problems, you're going to be disappointed. So instead of coming into a church and being idealistic, be realistic. Be realistic with your expectations upon another person. If you're looking for a perfect church, keep looking because it ain't here. But I can tell you, if you find that perfect church, do not join it because one, it's a cult and they're about to make you drink the Kool-Aid. <laughs> or two, you're gonna ruin it the moment you join it because <laughs> you're not perfect either. So be realistic in your expectations. Number three, choose to encourage rather than criticize. Listen, it's not hard to criticize somebody else, but I don't wanna be a part of a church that beats people up. I wanna be a part of a church that builds people up. I don't want to be a part of a church that tears down. I want to be a part of a church that builds people up and puts courage in them to become the person that God has created them to be. We want to be a church that encourages others. Refuse to gossip. You know, gossip happens in the church. I know it's a shock, but it happens. Oftentimes it's masked as prayer requests at small groups. Hey, can we pray for sister so-and-so? 
Oh, you know, brother so-and-so, this is what he's got going. I just want to, I have an unspoken prayer request about this person. And then you, you, you say, or, or, or in the lobby, you're like, hey, did you hear so-and-so? Did you hear so-and-so? Gossip brings so much division into a church. We need to refuse to gossip. Here's what I tell our staff and our team. If anybody comes to you with any gossip, here's what you do. You look at them like you just drank spoilt milk. Uh, like that, like just, oh, uh, uh, I'm allergic to that. Uh, just, just make this face. They're like, hey, can I talk to you? Mm, I just don't think you can. I, I just, uh. They're like, are you okay? Like, oh, I don't know. I'm sick to my stomach just looking at you. Uh. You just, you, you refuse to play the game. You just, just don't do it. They say, well, have you talked about this person yet? No? Okay, well, then you have no business talking to me. I'm, I'm just not going to play it. Because even after I announced this be bold, there might be some people who are going to come up to you in the lobby or maybe they'll text you afterwards like, hey, did you hear that they paused me bold? Why? Is it because we ran out of money? Is it because it wasn't going to happen? Why? Right? Hey, we're not going to play that game. We're not going to talk about other people. We're going to believe the best in people and we're going to believe the best in the future of this church as well. Yes. And so we're going to refuse to, to play the gossip game, which leads to the next point. If so, we're going to practice God's plan for reconciliation. What is God's plan for handling conflict? That we would talk to a person instead of talking about a person. That if, if there is conflict, you go to that person in person and you begin to speak to them. You say, hey, here's what I'm working at. If they don't listen to you, you bring a friend. And if they don't listen to those true friends, you get the elders involved. If they still don't listen to elders, if it's an egregious sin, you kick them out of the church. But we're not gonna go around talking about people behind their backs. We're gonna address the problem to people's faces. And we're gonna handle it the way that God requires for us to handle conflict within the church. And then the last thing is this, is to support your pastors and leaders. You know, it's not easy being a pastor. It's not easy being a leader. It's not easy being on staff. I wish I could tell you that all day I read books, prayed, and played golf. But I have never played golf in my life. Maybe I should start. Maybe it might relieve some stress. But pray for, pray for your pastors. Pray for your pastors. There is double honor in being a pastor, but there is double problems in dealing with it as well. And so pray for your pastors and leaders. We're doing the best we can with what we got. We want to make God proud, and we want to help you to experience and to become who God has created you to be. So be in prayer for that. And, and here's, here's what unity does. If we all work together in unity, write this down. Alone, we can do so little, but together, we could do so much. I have an illustration. I want to show you how unity works. So if I can get my, my, my team to come up here, let's give it up for all of our people. Oh, y'all can do better than that. Come on. Look at Trevor. Look at my boy Trevor. They're going to set this up. Thank y'all for sitting on the front row. It's where the anointing is at, my man. The anointing is here on the front row. All right, all right. Think about this. Alone, we can do very little. I mean, how long would it take for Trevor to do this all by himself? It would take the rest of the time that's on the clock. But no, we got, we got, we got my man PK, Pastor Cody. We got Chase Ingbrock. Let's give it up to them. It's teamwork that makes the dream work. This is what happens when we, when we work together in unity. 
You're only so strong and you can only do so much. You're a human being, there's limitations. There's limitations on what you accomplish, the impact and the significance that you can have in your life. Every one of you was made on a purpose, for a purpose, and God has a purpose. And when we come together, our potential is greater and bigger than it would be if we were on our own. Can we all agree? We can all agree, all right. So while they're finishing setting this up, let me go ahead, show you how this works. Lift with your back, not with your legs, Trevor. That's not how it works, is it? So here's our life. When we're on our own. This is the significance that we have. And this is the, the difference that we can make in the world around us. On your own, you can have an impact. Y'all see that? What? There we go. You can have a little impact. And so let's say this is, this is you serving, right? You're holding the door open. There we go. There we go. Or maybe, maybe it's your giving. Maybe as you tithe, you think, well, it's not really that big of a deal. 10%, man, that's probably what? $1,500 a year, 100 bucks a week. In the grand scheme of things, it didn't really make that big of a difference. You might be tempted to not try to do something because you don't feel like it's making a significant impact or a difference. Or, or maybe you try to do something on your own. Maybe it's just being a kind person. Maybe it's, you know, saying hello to the weird person at work. Come on. Maybe it's you're the weird person at work. Come on. And somebody said hello to you, right? But this is what our life looks like when we, when we try to make an impact by ourselves. It's not bad, but it's not bold. And I believe that God has more in store for you than that. And so here's what happens when we work together. Do you work for OSHA? <laughs> well, <sighs> luckily we believe in the power of prayer. Oh, there we go. But when we work together as a church, oh, how precious is it when brothers and sisters dwell together in unity. This is, this is why when people tell me, oh, I don't need to be a part of a church, I think they're crazy. They're like, I don't need to, be, I don't need to go to church, right? Thinking about the, the impact you can make, right? Do you need a church to be a Christian? Well, no. You're saved by the blood of Jesus. But with a church, you can reach your full potential in Christ. And you can make a greater impact because we are better together. Your impact, when we work together in unity... Alone, we can do a little, but together, as a church, let's go! Oh! Now, when you think about your life and your legacy, what kind of impact do you want to make for the kingdom of God? Alone, you could do a little. 
but together, you and me, together with everybody in this room, the impact that we can make in this city, the impact we can make on people's lives, the impact we can make around the world, the impact we can make to the future is greater when we do it together. Alone, we can do so little, but together, give me another rock, somebody. Come on. Let's give it up for our team, right? My dog. My dog. The next point, upon this rock, I will build my church. That's what Jesus says. Number three, a church that preaches. What happened? In the face of opposition, they prayed. God filled them with the Spirit. And they continue to what? Preach the word of God with boldness. A broken world needs a bold church. Why are we going to be bold? Because the, the world needs the message of the gospel. Because a broken world needs a bold church. There's people who are looking for hope, and we're going to give it to them. The number one prescription medication in America is antidepressants. We have a suicide rate amongst teenagers, which is an epidemic. People are hurting. When you look across the world right now, you wonder, it's not going well. That's the reason that we're here. That's the reason that we're, we're preaching the Bible. That's the reason we're planting churches. That's the reason why we're testifying about the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, there is hope for you. There is life for you. There is meaning for you. There is forgiveness for you. There is a new destiny that God has in store for you. And it is found through the person and work of Jesus. As he forgives your sins, he wipes them away, and he gives you a new life with him both now and forevermore. People don't just need to hear self-help sermons about how to be a better version of themselves. They need to be told how to be made new and that comes because we preach the bible and so at redemption we're still going to preach the bible this is what we do if you're new here's how we do it we do it verse by verse through books so we just finished the book of colossians we've done about 12 books so far as a church over the summer we're going to do first and second samuel over the life of david and then in the fall we're going to dive into first peter as a church because we believe in preaching the Bible. The Holy Spirit blesses a church that opens up the Bible and just says whatever it is that God says. And a broken world, here's what a broken world needs. A broken world needs a bold church. It's a a church that preaches, God blesses it. When we let God's word do the work, we pick up the results. We let God do the heavy lifting. We just open the Bible and tell you whatever God says. The, The last thing is this. Number three was a bold church that preaches. Last one is this. It's a, it's a church that, that, that provides. Listen to how it says, and with great power. What is that? That is a supernatural power. The apostles, they were giving their testimony. And how did people respond? They respond by giving of their, giving of their possessions, of their, their needs and their goods. Here's, here's what it says. It says, they sold their houses and they brought the proceeds of what was sold and they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. I am not worried about the future of our church because I still believe that it is God who provides for us. God has provided for us in the past in supernatural ways, and I believe that he will continue to provide for us in the future as well. Let me tell you a few stories about why I'm confident that even while we're paused, God is still working. Here's how, because whenever we planted this church, me and Ashley six years ago, 
We actually didn't have enough money to make it to the grand opening. I thought we were gonna have to close the doors of the church before we actually even had a church. And so we're trying to raise money and funds. I just thought, okay, God, you're gonna place it on somebody's heart to give inside of our church. And apparently nobody had that placed inside their heart. <laughs> I didn't teach tithing as a church for the first three years because I was afraid to talk about money because I didn't want to offend anybody. But here's what I've learned. Side note, I've never met a generous person who got offended at a giving sermon. There you go. That's it. Because people who are generous, they know the joy that comes along with generosity. And so we were just praying and praying and praying. And I met a pastor from Houston. He called me and said, hey, Byron, I want you to come meet with me. So I drove and he took me on a tour of his church and he showed me all the cool things that God was doing. And I was like, man, that's great. That's great. Man, that's amazing. And uh, I thought this guy was like showing off because <laughs> my church is like not even off the ground yet. And he's like, look at all of this. And I was like, man, that's, that's awesome. And he sat me down for lunch and he said, well, here's, here's what I want you to know, Byron, is that I know we just met but I believe in you and I, I've been following you on social media and our church wants to bless you at $30,000. And he cut us a check for $30,000. And, and here's why this is so important. You may not know this, is that as a church, even those years where we were just scraping by, me and Ashley, we didn't get paid by the church for the first three years pastoring redemption. Ashley was a barista. I, I worked at a school and, and we, we barely got by. And but here's what you, you, you don't know is that that $30,000, our church has never been below $30,000 in our bank account. Wow. God has sustained that offering. Here we are six years later. And even through the darkest of days, we never dipped in below $30,000 into our bank account. It's a supernatural provision. And here's one of the reasons why I don't want to, to, to move forward with boldness because it, it, the be bold without a better plan it's because it exhausts the people of the church whenever the pastor has to stand on the stage and keep asking, hey, this week we need $5,000. Hey, this week we need $10,000 because we've done that before. Yeah. In fact, to get into this building every week was a special offering. Hey, we need $5,000 for sheetrock today. If we don't get it, I guess we're not working this weekend. And every week people would have to give a little bit more and give a little bit more and it became exhausting and it almost felt like our church was just all about money. And so new guests didn't connect or, or didn't want to be a part of it because because there was, it was always a need. And people don't give to need. People give to vision. Yeah. Need leads to greed. Yeah. But vision leads to provision in a church. Here we go. And so here, here's, what, here's what we did. We're like, okay, we need this and this and this. And, and, and there's a meager giving that, the reason why we were able to get into to this building, a couple of things. First thing is this. There's a guy whose son was baptized in our church within the first year. He got a job, moved to Austin, started making double what he was making here. And at his year-end bonus, he thought about our church and he said, man, I really missed that church. And he cut us a check of $15,000 without knowing where we were at or what we we're doing. Praise Paid for all that sheetrock. <laughs> the other thing is the, the Assemblies of God, they reached out to us and they said, hey, um, well, do y'all know the Steak and Shake? Yeah. Right there, right? Okay, Steak, Steak and Shake. Here's what happened. There was an Assemblies of God church there called Parkdale Assembly of God. We're an Assemblies of God church here. Because of division, that church died. They split. They couldn't get along with each other. And what used to be a very healthy church eventually just closed its doors because they couldn't get along with one another. So as that church died, the AG came in, took property of the building, demolished it, sold the land to Steak and Shake, and gave us all the money. This is the church that Steak and Shake built. Yeah! 
So next time you go to Steak and Shake, just take a big bite and go, mm, thank you, Jesus. I know that God will provide for us in the future. That's why I have a hard time going back to the bank and asking for more money. Because right now, that's our plan B. And I'm not, I'm not saying it's not an option, because it is an option. But I believe that more so than God wanting a bank to give us the money, I believe that God wants to work in the hearts of the people yeah. to be able to meet the need that is before us. And, and so for all of the people who are new, I know you may not yet be there. You're like, hey, I'm just new to this church. I know the church has doubled in size, but I'm not yet ready. I'm gonna start by tithing first. Let me just start there. Above and beyond and boldness. Hey, I wanna go through next steps first. Can we just get through an Easter? Maybe let me become a member because asking for two-year commitment after two weeks is kind of like, you know, like a kid from Christian college asking a girl he just met to marry him. Ring by spring, baby. <laughs> we want to give you some time because I believe that in time, your heart will now become in unity with ours. And when I ask for boldness, you'll be like, Pastor, I've been ready. I'm ready to step out and be bold. And so we want to give all the new people the space and the grace to be able to catch up with the rest of us. Let me tell you one more story and our band's going to come forward. I know with confidence that we're gonna be okay. Because God has already spoken it into my heart before this ever even began. Here, here's the story about why we stepped out and, and started buying a building in the first place. Is during COVID when all the world was going crazy and people were arguing and people were divided, people were losing their jobs and binge watching Tiger King. <laughs> There was not enough toilet paper. <laughs> do y'all remember this? Do you remember this? So one of the things that I, I, I like to do is, um, is I picked up running during, during COVID. So I started, started running. Um, not from my problems. I started running to clear my mind. Um, and I was very stressed one day, and so I decided I'm going to go for, for the longest run at that time. It was a 15-mile run. And so it's seven miles from my house. And this is like August, September, summer, right? 50, it's seven miles from my house to the Folsom hike and bike. And there's a, there's a water fountain there. So I'm like, okay, well, I don't run with water bottles because it just kind of weighs you down and it's all clunky. And so I ran from my house to the water fountain, the seven miles to the hike and bike. I get there and the water fountain is turned off due to COVID. So I have no water for the, for the run back home. So I'm hot, I'm dehydrated, I'm, over, I'm overheated, and I get about 10 miles in to the run, coming back down Delaware, and all of a sudden my body just shuts down. And I just, pull, I just, I just sit down on the side of the road, and I just go, God, why have you brought me here to die? <laughs> but you know, that, that same feeling I felt this week, getting ready to tell you, hey, I... I'm gonna, we're gonna pause, be bold, because everything in me wants to be successful. Everything in me wants to achieve. Everything within me says, I can't look like a failure in front of the church. They have to believe and have confidence in me. And if I were to say, hey, I, 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 I need more time, then, then maybe people would lose trust in me. And I felt like, God, we've been giving for a year and we're gonna come up short. 
What are people gonna think? And I started feeling that same anxiety in my heart this week. As I sat down 10 miles into this run, no water, dehydrated, my body is on fire. I looked down next to me and there's an unopened bottle of Ozarka water. And I open up the water bottle and I just drink that thing, right? And the Lord spoke tenderly to my heart and here's what he said, if I can give you a water bottle, I can give you a building. So I'm not afraid about our future. Because if he can give me a water bottle, he can give me a building. I'm, I'm not worried about that. He has provided for me in the past. He's going to provide for us again. And here's the reason why. Because where God guides, God always provides. Never once has God set somebody up for failure. Never once has he destined you for disappointment. Never once has he led you somewhere that he would not make a way for you to get through it. Where God guides, God always provides. 